The Strand Magazine, an illustrated monthly, edited by George Newness, Volume 1, January to June, 1891. The Mirror, by Leo Lespa. Dear Kate, you wish me to write to you, me, a poor blind creature whose hand moves faltering in the darkness. Are you not afraid of the sadness of my letters, written as they are in gloom? Have you no fear of the sombre thoughts which must beset the blind? Letter 1 My dear Kate, you are happy. You can see. To see, oh, to see. To be able to distinguish the blue sky, the sun, and all the different colours. What joy! True, I once enjoyed this privilege, but when I was struck with blindness, I was scarcely ten years old. Now I am twenty-five. It is fifteen long years since everything around me became as black as night. In vain, dear Kate, do I endeavour to recall the wonders of nature. I have forgotten all her hues. I smell the scent of the rose. I guess its shape by touch. But its boasted colour, to which all beautiful women are compared, I have forgotten. Or rather, I cannot describe. Sometimes, under this thick veil of darkness, strange gleams flit. The doctors say this is the movement of the blood, and this may give some promise for a cure. Vain delusion. When one has lost for fifteen years the lights which beautify the earth, they are never to be found again except in heaven. The other day I had a rare sensation. In groping in my room, I put my hand upon, you will never guess, upon a mirror. I sat down in front of it and arranged my hair like a coquette. Oh, what would I have given to be able to regard myself, to know if I was nice, if my skin is as white as it is soft, and if I have pretty eyes under my long lashes, Oh, they often told us at school that the devil comes in the glasses of little girls who look at themselves too long. All I can say is if he came in mine, he must have been nicely caught, my Lord Satan. I couldn't have seen him. You ask me in your kind letter, which has just been read to me, whether it is true that the failure of a banker has ruined my parents. I have heard nothing of such things. No, they are rich. I am supplied with every luxury. Everywhere that my hand rests, it touches silk and velvet, flowers and precious stuffs. Our table is abundant, and every day my taste is coaxed with dainties. Therefore, you see, Kate, that my beloved folks are happy and comfortably well off. Write to me, my dear Kate since you are now back from exotic Paris, and show some pity for a poor blind girl. Letter 2 My dear Kate, you have no idea what I am going to tell you. Or oh, you will laugh as if you had gone crazy. You will believe that with my sight I must have lost my reason. I have a lover. Yes, dear Kate, I, the girl without eyes, have a wooer as melting and as persistent as the lover of a duchess. After this, what is to be said? Love, who is as blind as blind can be, 
undoubtedly owed me this as one of his own kind. How he got in amongst us, I don't know. Still less, what is he going to do here? All I can tell you is that he sat on my left at dinner the other evening, and he looked after me with extreme care and attention. And as for conversation... This is the first time, I said, that I have had the honour of meeting you. True, but I know your parents, and I esteem them highly. How kind that you esteem them so, my good angels. They are not the only people here for whom I feel affection. Oh, then whom else here do you like? You. Me? What do you mean? I mean that I love you. Me? You love me? Truly, madly. At these words I blushed and pulled my scarf over my shoulders. He sat quite silent. You are certainly abrupt in your announcement. Oh, I might be seen as abruptness in my actions and my gestures. That may be, but I am blind. A blind girl is not wooed as others are. What do I care about the want of sight? What matters to me if your eyes are closed to the light? Is not your figure charming, your foot as tiny as a fairy's, your step superb, your skin of alabaster, your complexion carmine, and your hand the colour of the lily? He had finished his description before his words ceased sounding in my ears. So then, I had, according to him, a beautiful figure, a fairy foot, snowy skin, a complexion like a rose, and fair and silky hair. Oh, Kate, dear Kate, to other girls such a lover, who describes all your perfections, is nothing but a suitor. But to a blind girl, he is more than a lover. He is a mirror. I began again. Am I really as pretty as all that? I am still far from the reality, far from the truth. And what would you have me do? Do? I want you to be my wife. I laughed out loud at this idea. Do you mean it? A marriage between the blind and the seeing, between the day and the night? Why, I should have to put my orange blossom on by groping. No, no, my parents are rich. A single life has no terrors for me. Single I will remain and take the service of Diana, as they say. And so much the worse for her if she was waited on a miss. He went away without saying a word more. It is all the same that he has taught me that I am nice. I don't know how it is that I catch myself loving him a little. Mr. Mirror Mine. Letter 3 Dear Kate, oh my dear Kate, what news I have to tell you. What sad and unexpected things befall us in this life. And as I tell you what has happened to me, tears are falling from my darkened eyes. Several days after my conversation with the stranger, whom I call the Mirror, I was walking in the garden leaning on my mother's arms, when she was suddenly and loudly called for. 
It seemed to me that the maid, in haste to find my mother, betrayed some agitation in her voice. What is the matter, mother? I asked her, troubled without knowing why. Nothing, my love. Some visitor, no doubt, in our position we owe something to society. In that case, I said, embracing her, I will keep you no longer. Go and do the honours of the drawing-room. She pressed two icy lips upon my forehead. Then I heard her footsteps on the gravel path receding in the distance. She had hardly left me when I thought I heard the voices of two workmen in our neighbour's garden, who were chatting together, thinking they were alone. You know, Kate, when God deprives us of one of our faculties, he seems, in order to console us, perhaps, to make the others keener. The blind man has his hearing sharper than he whose gaze can traverse space. I did not lose a word of their remarks although they spoke in a low tone. And this is what they said. Poor things, how sad, the broker's in again. And the girl has not the least suspicion. She never guesses that they take advantage of her lost sight to make her happy. What do you mean, take advantage? There isn't any doubt about it. All that her hand touches is of mahogany or velvet. Only the mahogany has lost its luster. The velvet has grown shabby. At table she enjoys the most delicious dishes without dreaming in her innocence that the domestic misery is kept concealed from her and that alongside of that very table her father and mother seldom have anything except dry bread. Oh, Kate, you can understand my agony. They have practised on me for my happiness. They have made me live in luxury amidst my darkness and me alone. Oh, marvellous devotion! All the wealth which a most grateful heart can offer cannot pay this everlasting debt. Letter 4 Dear Kate, I have not told anyone that I have guessed my parents sad yet charming secret. My mother would be overwhelmed to learn that all her trouble to conceal their poverty from me has been useless. I still affect a firm belief in the flourishing condition of our house, but I am determined to save it. George Weston, as my lover is called, came to see me, and may heaven forgive me, I let myself set to pay the coquette with him. So I asked him, Have you still the same esteem for me? Yes, I love you because you are beautiful with the noblest beauty which is pure and modest. And my figure? Oh, as exquisite and graceful as a vine. Ah, and my forehead? Oh, large and smooth as the ivory which it outshines. Really? And I began to laugh. What makes you so merry? An idea that you are my mirror. I can see myself reflected in your words. Dearest, I would that it might be so always. Would you agree then... To be your faithful mirror? To reflect your qualities, your virtues? Yes, 
if you consent to be my wife, I have some fortune. You shall want for nothing, and I will strive with all my power to make you happy. At these words I thought of my poor parents, whom my marriage would relieve of an enormous burden. If I consent to marry you, your self-love as a man would suffer. I could not see you. Alas, I owe you a confession. Go on. I am a graceless child of nature. I have neither charm of countenance nor dignity of carriage. To crown my misfortune, a scourge nowadays made powerless by the art of vaccination, has mercilessly scarred my features. In marrying a blind girl, therefore, I show that I am selfish and without humility. I held out my hand to him. I don't know whether you are too hard on yourself, but I believe you to be good and true. Take me then, such as I am. Nothing at any rate will turn my thoughts from yours. Your love will be an oasis in the desert of my night. Am I doing right or wrong? I do not know, dear Kate, but I am going to my parents' rescue. Perhaps, in my groping, I have found the right way. Letter 5 Dear Kate, my dear friend, Thank you for assurance that I am doing the right thing. I thank you too for your kind friendliness, for the compliments and congratulations with which your letter is filled. Yes, I have been married for two months now and am the happiest of women. I have nothing to desire. Idolised by my husband and adored by my parents who have not left me, I do not regret my infirmity, since George sees for both of us. The day I was married, my mirror, as I call him, reflected complacently my bridal pomp. Thanks to him, I knew that my veil was nicely made and that my wreath of orange blossoms was not all on one side. What could a Venetian mirror have done more? In the evening, we walk out together in the gardens, and he makes me admire the flowers by their perfume, the birds by their song, the fruit by its taste and its soft touch. Sometimes we go to the theatre, and there too he reproduces, by his wit, all that my closed eyes cannot see. Oh, what does his ugliness matter to me? I no longer know what is beautiful or what is ugly, but I do know what is kind and loving. Farewell then, dear Kate. Rejoice in my happiness. Letter 6 My beloved Kate, I am a mother. The mother of a little girl and I can't see her. They say she looks sweet enough to eat. They make out she is a living miniature of me. And I can't admire her. Oh, how mighty is a mother's love. I have borne without a murmur, not to look upon the blue of heaven, the glamour of the flowers, the feature of my husband, of my parents, of those who love me. But it seems I cannot bear with resignation not to see my child. 
Oh, if the black band which covers my sight would fall for a minute, a second only, if I could look on her as one looks at the vanishing lightning, I should be happy. I should be content for the remainder of my life. George this time cannot be my mirror. It is in vain that he tells me my cherub has fair curly hair, great wayward eyes and vermilion smile. What good are his words to me? I cannot see my little darling when she stretches out her arms to me. Letter 7 Dear precious Kate, my husband is an angel. Do you know what he is doing? He has had me cared for during the past year without my knowing his plans. He wishes to restore the light to me. And the doctor is my beloved George, my mirror. He, for my sake, has adopted a profession from which his sensibility recoils. Just yesterday he said to me, Angel of my life, do you know what I hope for? Is it possible? Yes, those lotions which I made you use under the pretext that they would beautify the skin were really preparations for an operation of a very different importance. What operation? For the cure of cataract. But an operation? Will not your hand tremble? No, my hand will be sure, for my heart will be devoted. Oh, I said, embracing him. You are not a man. You are a ministering angel. Ah, kiss me once more, dearest. Let me enjoy these last few moments of illusion. What do you mean, my darling? That soon, with the help of God, you will regain your sight. And then? Then you will see me as I am. Small, insignificant and ugly. At these words, it seemed to me as if a flash had shot through my darkness. But it was my imagination which was kindling like a torch. And my reply? George, dearest, if you do not trust my love, if you think that, whatever your face may be, I am not your willing slave, then leave me in my nothingness, in my eternal night. He answered nothing but pressed my hand. I called to mind the details which I had asked about my husband. Mamma had told me that he was marked by smallpox. Papa maintains that his hair is very thin. Annette, our servant, will have it that he is old. To be marked by the smallpox is to be the victim of an accident. To be bald is a sign of intellectual power, so said Hugh Adcock, but to be old, that is a pity. And then, if unfortunately in the course of nature he were to die before me, I should have less time to love him. In fact, Kate, if you remember the stories in the fairy book which we read together, you with your eyes and voice, I in heart and spirit, you will admit that I am rather in the interesting situation of the beauty and the beast without having the resource of the transformation miracle. Meanwhile, pray for me, for with God's help, who knows whether I shall not soon be able to read your precious letters. Last letter. 
dearest Kate. Oh, don't look at the end of this letter before you have read the beginning. Take your share of my griefs, my vicissitudes, my joys, my following their natural course. The operation took place two weeks ago, after which a trembling hand was placed upon my eyes. I uttered two piercing cries. Then I seemed to see day, light, colour, sun. But then, almost instantaneously, a bandage was placed upon my burning forehead. But I knew I was cured. Only a little patience and a little courage were required. George had restored me to the sweetness and the beauty of life. But, oh, must I confess it, three days ago I did a foolish thing. I disobeyed my doctor, I disobeyed my George, but he will not know it. Besides, there is no danger in my rashness now. Annette brought me my little one to kiss. She was holding her in her lap. My child said in her soft voice, Mama, I could resist no longer. I tore off my bandages. My child, oh, how lovely she is, I cried. I see her. Oh, I see her. Annette quickly put the bandages on again. But I was no longer in the darkness. This cherub face restored my memory from that moment lighted up my night. Yesterday, my mother came to dress me. We were long over my toilette. I had on a beautiful silk dress, a lace collar, my hair dressed as La Marie Stuart. My arrangements were complete. My mother told me to take off the bandage. I did as she told me, and though only twilight prevailed in the room, I thought I had never seen anything so beautiful. I pressed my heart to my mother, my father, and my child. You have seen, said my father, everybody but yourself. And my husband, I cried out, where is my husband? He is hiding, said my mother. Then I remembered his ugliness, his attire, his thin hair, his scarred face. Poor dear George, I said, let him come to me. He is more beautiful than Adonis. While we are waiting for your lord and master, Mamma answered, admire yourself, look in the glass. You may admire yourself for a long time without blame if you are to make up for lost time. I did as she suggested, a little from vanity, a little from curiosity. What if I was ugly? What if my plainness, like my poverty, had been concealed from me? They led me to my pier glass, and seeing my reflection, I uttered a cry of joy. With my slender figure, my complexion like a rose, my eyes a little dazed, but like two shimmering sapphires, I was charming. Nevertheless, I could not look at myself quite at my ease, for the glass was trembling without cessation, and my image reflected on its brilliant surface seemed as if it danced for joy. I looked behind the glass to see what made it tremble. A young man was holding it, a fine young man, 
with large black eyes and striking figure, whose coat was adorned with the Order of the British Empire. I blushed to think I had been so foolish in the presence of a stranger. Just look, said my mother to me, without taking any notice of him. How fair you are, like a white rose. Mama, I cried, only look at those white arms. And she pulled my sleeves above the elbow without the smallest scruple. But Mama, I said, what are you thinking of before a stranger? A stranger? It is a mirror, she said. I don't mean the glass, but this young gentleman who was behind it, like a lover of a comedy. Hey, cried my father, you need not be bashful in front of your husband. George, I cried out and made a step forward to embrace him. Then I fell back. He was so beautiful. I was so happy. Blind, I had loved in confidence. What made my heart beat now was a new love, swollen by the generosity of this truly noble and handsome man, who had ordered everyone to say that he was ugly in order to console me with my blindness. George fell at my knees. Mama put me in his arms as she wiped away her tears. How lovely you are. Flatterer. No, when I alone was your mirror, I always told you so. And see, your mirror here, whom you have just consulted, is of the same opinion, and it declares that we are both right. You are as beautiful as the dawn of a new day. End of the Mirror by Leo Lespar The characters were played by Sally Hallowell Carew With narration by Edward Kirkby This is a filed audio theatre production. For more information or to volunteer, please visit filedaudiotheatre.com dot uk